the Awesome Cast. folks and welcome to the awesome cast your podcast for everything awesome i'm basil i'm kevin and i'm douglas and that's us although this episode is not quite what we usually do this is an awesome table a roundtable discussion about a specific topic in this case sony's line of video game consoles playstation playstation it's been around for apparently now 20 years, yeah. and everybody else is doing retrospectives, and it seemed like a easy enough topic to talk about on the podcast, as for all three of us, even though some of us were Nintendo kids starting out, some of us were Sega kids sort of starting out. Sega! I think especially our real, our real formative years were PlayStation years. Like, you know, much like how it's in your, your mid to late teenage years, sort of your formative years for music, the PlayStation was sort of our formative video gaming. I, yeah. I think, I know it's true for me. Yeah, I, 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 I would think that's fair to say. Now, now, who are we to talk about all these PlayStation stuff? Well, we're the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. If you'd like to check out all our previous episodes to see what a show is normally like, you may check out our index of awesome, awesomecast.com. You may... Send us emails if you have any questions. You can follow us on Twitter. The email is awesomecast at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at awesomecast. My Twitter, Basil, is at it's Basil time. Kevin's Twitter is at twitless underscore Kevin. Not twitless Kevin, but twitless underscore Kevin. Yeah, don't follow that other jerk. He's, he's not really twitless at all. Not like Kevin here. He's totally twitless. Well, mostly you, twitless. You're, you're getting less twitless as time goes on. You're, you're getting more and more twitful, really. Yeah, I mostly just retweet whatever robot art Thomas Romain is talking about on in, in his wonderful land of Japan. Hey, you're guaranteed normally at least one tweet about Gonna Build Fighters. Yeah. As those are the tweets that sort of remind me to go watch Gundam Build Fires. I actually would held from the last episode because the only tweet I could think of is totally a spoiler for the episode, even though it's a lighthearted breather episode. <laughs> but anyways, that's us. And you can find us also on Facebook, Tumblr. We really bad. We are really bad about updating all those. We're going to get better, I promise, one of these days. So uh, any other piece of business before we jump into PlayStation? We are going to be take talking all about the PlayStation. PlayStation has a very rich and interesting history. Does if that's it? true, then don't say it like that. <laughs> Does well, it, Basil? Oh, okay, then I won't say it like that. <laughs> the Sony PlayStation has a rich and interesting history. Full of ups and downs and everything in the middle. And almost being a Nintendo console. It's true. Let's get into that. This is the PlayStation on the Awesome Cast. As you can see, this is a PlayStation Black Disc. Cut number one contains computer data, so please don't play it. 
But you probably won't listen to me anyway, will you? So, Sony's first real thing in video games wasn't even the PlayStation. It actually got a start, it might have got a start even earlier, but the first start I remember is the fact that it actually, Sony provided the SPC-700, which was the audio chip for the uh, Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Which was considered, honestly, a pretty advanced sound chip for a home console. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why the Super Nintendo sounds as good as it does. And there were also, also Sony had a video game division where they they made some video games here and there. Uh, but they really were planning to really, you know, take the world by storm uh, with this CD-ROM attachment they were going to make with Nintendo. And then Nintendo realized that Nintendo's all, Nintendo's real money making was in licensing the cartridges that people use to plug into their video game consoles. Yeah, because Nintendo was the only got only game in town. They were the only people making. Well, except for those bootleg Bible games. Well. Right, because Nintendo built it so that they were the only ones who could make them. And because cartridges use actual memory, and memory could get expensive, Nintendo would require that you would have to put in these large orders, and if you did not sell all your cartridges... You are out of luck. So Sony decided that this whole CD thing would be a really good, way much cheaper way of, you know, distributing games. And Nintendo was initially on board until they realized that Sony had also lined up in their contracts the licensing fees and stuff. Like, this wasn't Nintendo making all the cartridges anymore. It was, in fact, going to be Sony, and one of their major revenue streams was going to go poof away. And so Nintendo, out of nowhere, decided during NE3, after Sony had announced the the add-on, Nintendo decided to announce a brand new CD add-on instead with Philips. And we're like, Sony, what Sony? What, what are you talking about? What, what, do you mean? what do you mean Sony? I have never met this Sony gentleman in my life. <laughs> and that pissed off, I believe it was, it was in fact still Ken Kutaragi. I believe he was the guy still in charge. He was the charge of making the whole PlayStation thing happen. And he decided, you know what? Screw it. Screw you guys. I, I, I'm going to take in my, my PlayStation and we'll turn it into its own video game system. Yeah, my own video game system with blackjack and hookers. Yeah. That probably actually happened at some point. <laughs> and he was, you know, Kid Karagi is, he's, he was one of the main techs at Sony He's known as the father of the PlayStation. He designed the PlayStations 1, 2, and 3. And so he sort of, you know, took a lot of the... He designed, you know... I think they took a lot of the stuff from the idea of the Super Nintendo add-on. And they reincorporated it to be its own system. And so, in December 3rd of 1994, in Japan, they launched the PlayStation. And kind of took the world by storm. You know, uh, a lot of it was thanks to Sega kind of blundering with the Saturn. It actually, the Saturn initially launched pretty well in Japan, but kind of 
did a really bad launch in America because they sort of they launched expensively out of nowhere. They yeah. didn't tell anybody until like there was like an E three. They're like, yes, and the Sega Saturn is also on shelves right now. And then Sony went, the PlayStation will be on shelves in a few months, and it's going to be way cheaper. Yeah. Eh. Which is not the first time they're going to use that tactic on Sega. Yeah, and also Saturn had a bunch of really great licensed games for all kinds of anime that never made its way to the U.S. as a in-game form. <laughs> so that didn't help either. Some of its best stuff never made it to the U.S. But yeah, and PlayStation did a lot of things, and a lot of this whole CD-based business really won developers over. Well, also the programming language that they used was a lot easier for programmers to wrap their head around. Uh, when you're coding for a Nintendo game, you have to learn the specific coding language that Nintendo is using for their products. And all in all, it's just it's just a simpler... What they were offering on the PlayStation at the time was just simpler than what they were offering on Nintendo 64, which was its competitor as far as my perspective of the time is concerned. It was, you know, I think it came out, I believe, a year before the N64 did. Yeah. And by that time, Nintendo was also trying to do, the, it was also the world's first true 64-bit system. Yeah. And whereas the place was only 32-bit, even though it in the end it doesn't really matter, mm. as people eventually learn to figure out. But yeah, PlayStation... Because of the CDs, they people like you know, and one of the biggest coups that I remember was when Square was showing off their stuff for N sixty four, and then they got to play with CD ROMs, fell in love with it so much they immediately jumped ship to Sony. Yep, immediately, and suddenly Nintendo was caught in the lurch with no, no Final Fantasy game. Yeah, well, that's my whole reason for why I got a PlayStation instead of a Nintendo sixty four. Uh, my parents would only allow me to have one major system at a time, so I had to pick. And my heart was with whichever system the Final Fantasy games were coming out on. So as long as they were coming out on Nintendo, I was die-hard, lock, sock, and barrel Nintendo. But the moment Final Fantasy jumped over to PlayStation, that made me jump over too. And that's my allegiance shift towards wherever Final Fantasy was. And that being on the PlayStation... That's where I went. Makes sense to me. So, Kevin, how did you, how did you get your first PlayStation? That's actually kind of interesting because the PlayStation was the first console I ever bought with my own money, and I act, I painted my grandfather's house to make that money. Well, I got a couple games too, but uh, you know, I, I I actually you know that was, but I painted his house, and that's how I got the money to buy that PlayStation. And a couple of games. Um, I think I got Psychic Force and Wild Arms. One was immensely better than the other. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Wild Arms is still one of my favorite RPG franchises. They need to make another one someday. Wait, was it actually... Was the game actually Psychic Force or was it Psy Force? I believe Psychic Force. Oh, okay. It was like a fighting game with some anime-style cutscenes. Oh, I, I remember another game called Psy Force that was absolutely terrible. Well, like, it was kind of 2D, but they, everyone could fly, so... No, this yeah. is not the same game. Uh, I don't know. It was. I think they made a one-shot OAB of it at some point, and I never checked it out. I think they made a sequel on another system somewhere, and it was so-so. But, no, Wild Arms is great. And, you know, eventually we got around to things like Final Fantasy and Xenogears and, you know, but... Because I know, 
when I finally got my PlayStation. Well, first, Doug. When, when did you, so you got your PlayStation for Christmas. Yes, I got my uh, mine for Christmas. You know, I had actually bought my Super Nintendo with, like, me and my little sister had saved up, and we bought that system with our own money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the Super Nintendo is what convinced my parents that you actually do have to upgrade your systems every couple of years. And so when I started asking for a PlayStation so that I could get the new Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy 7 they were more willing to listen to me especially since I wanted it so bad and by then I think it had already been out for several months it actually been out for several years the Playstation came out in America apparently in 95 and Final Fantasy did not come out until 97 well I meant I meant the I meant Final Fantasy yeah yeah I know I got mine before Final Fantasy 7 came out yeah like I didn't get my PlayStation until Final Fantasy 7 came out and it had already been out for a couple of months it had already been out yeah. for a couple of months before uh before I got it that Christmas and oh man I loved it so much at least I'm pretty I sure. like we hooked it up we we hooked it up to my parents TV in the den and I and from Christmas until like I played I played it for two days straight right off the bat of getting it partially because they didn't know that you had to get a memory card oh because right. all my Super Nintendo games you saved right on the cartridge so this was the first experience we had with memory cards and having to go out and get the memory cards so we had to go out on uh, the so- the solution to the problem was apparently, I would just keep playing and try not to die. (laughs) Try to not get a game over or anything. And just keep playing. And then the next day, uh, at like, the next day of the day, immediately after Christmas, my dad took me out and we went to like, I think we went to Electronics Boutique because it was still open in the mall by us. and, And we got me a memory card. I, I remember mine, it actually mirrors, and I believe you, because Wild Arms came out in 96. That sounds right. So you probably got it before, because you were playing Wild Arms first. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. Wild Arms is a neat thing all by itself, but... Yeah, that was kind of the RPG hotness before you got your Final Fantasy. And I remember that I was still on the fence on what system I wanted. Mm-hmm. Because I was a diehard... I'm still a diehard Nintendo fan, but I was a diehard Nintendo fan. Yeah. As a kid, I'd only played Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and that was it. Screw Sega. I was drinking the pro Nintendo Kool-Aid. I was reading Nintendo Power. I was there. But Sega does what Nintendo don't, Basil. Yeah, if you're an idiot. <laughs> not cool like Nintendo. Man, whatever. Speedy Gonzalez on the Game Boy was able to run <laughs> just as fast as freaking Sonic. I don't want to hear it, man. Whatever. Anyways. <laughs> However, my parents had decided after the Super Nintendo, they were no longer going to buy me any more systems. I had to save up and buy any system myself. And I did, except for the PlayStation. Because I was so conflicted on what happened, I wasn't sure what we were going to get. I found out that my best friend at the time, Seth, he had just recently moved in with his boyfriend. And they had two PlayStations and two copies of Final Fantasy VII. And so he sold my mom his PlayStation for a really cheap deal. Because I think he felt bad that he spoiled the whole heiress thing. 
oh. to me. Because he didn't realize I didn't own a PlayStation or play Final Fantasy VII yet. Because we were chatting, and he goes, oh, man, it really sucked when she died. And I'm like, dude! <laughs> dude! He's like, what? I don't own a PlayStation! Ooh, we should have saved that. Oh, you know, we should have saved that for the spoiler section, Basil. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he felt so bad that he realized when he had the opportunity, he sold my mom his PlayStation and Final Fantasy VII really cheap so that I could have a PlayStation for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. And so in 97, I got a PlayStation with... And man, it was it was pretty sweet because I got Final Fantasy VII and Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Final Fantasy Tactics. I think pretty soon after that, and that was that was a pretty mm-hmm. pretty sweet Christmas. Let me tell you. So so yeah, what when you when we say Final not well Final Fantasy, but when we say uh, PlayStation, we're talking about the original. Yeah, original PlayStation. We'll, we'll we'll move on. To, we'll have PS2 and PS3 and PS4 in other sections. But right now, this is just just the place, just the original PSX. What games do you think of? Well, Final Fantasy, obviously Final Fantasy yeah. VII. Uh, I have a pretty good soft spot for the Sui Coden series. Sui Coden one and two are both pretty awesome. Xeno Gears. Well, well, let's let's dig in because I have a feeling this is going to be a much more of an original PlayStation cast well, than yeah, a yeah. PS2 cast. At least for me. At least for me. This is really where Sony won my heart and soul. Was this very was their very first PlayStation? Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, let's let's talk about some of these games. So I think they're because the system is really nothing without its games. PlayStation, because yeah. it was a three disc game. Oh my gosh! And it was so like, like now if you go back and play Final Fantasy VII, it looks terrible. Except for the backgrounds. Yeah, <laughs> except for the backgrounds, but it's aged horribly. It has not aged well, but at the time, it was amazing. When it first came out, it was so beautiful. Like you were totally willing to forgive like the the blocky square, you know, the the, the blocky Lego people and everything right, right. because. Like, I had just never seen a game with cutscenes like that. Like, and so I think Final Fantasy VII really did, like, kind of blaze a trail in terms of storytelling, in terms of, uh, in terms of cutscenes. Like, other things may have done it first, other things may have done the individual parts better, but Final Fantasy VII really, like, coalesced everything into a thing. It, it created the bar. And it even did other things. Like, I remember its ad campaign was equally, because this was the game that made people actually realize that RPGs, role-playing games, were an actual genre you should pay attention to. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember, um, I remember the ad campaign that, uh, the ad campaign, uh, this one, this really got me because I think this ad campaign happened after I had started playing it. 
playing the game, and so I knew what they were talking about. Uh, you know, they had in this big, you know, TV announcer voice, you know, a hatred, a love that could never be, and a hatred that always was, you know, panning like Cloud, and then Eris, and then Cloud again, and then Sephiroth, and then it, uh, and then it goes, and this summer, the greatest, and this summer, the most highly anticipated story event is never coming to a theater near you. Final Fantasy VII. It was so good. Well, there was also things like there were video game characters. You could buy Final Fantasy characters on bottles of Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember, you could buy like Pepsi twenty ounces with like Cloud and Barrett's like polygonal faces on them. Wasn't there a big surge? Like the surge, the energy drink campaign along with Final Fantasy Seven. No, I'm pretty no because that was a Coca Cola product, and I'm pretty I'm pretty positive uh. that was it was say it might have been Mountain Dew. It might have been, but it was. I remember because I remember it was really the the Pepsi products that had the, mm-hmm. the ad campaign. Yeah, people wanted to fact check me, go right ahead. But I remember it being Pepsi. I also remember the magazine spreads where they were explaining that it would take so many bazillion cartridges mm-hmm. on the N sixty four to fit Final Fantasy seven into, even though they eventually totally proved that you could probably have done it with a much smaller thing. Because they actually were able to put Resident Evil 2 on a cartridge. Anyways. <laughs> but yeah, like Final Fantasy VII sort of changed everything when it came to RPGs. Yeah. You know, for, suddenly... For better or worse in yeah. various cases. Because before then, all, everything was pretty much sprite-based. You know, there were cutscenes, but they weren't nearly as elaborate mm-hmm. as, you know, full motion video. Yeah. This is also the first time that I felt full motion video was really done well... And actually used to move a story along that wasn't like the seventh guest or ghost or whatever that or sewer shark. Or, <laughs> oh, I remember that. You know, and so it did. It changed a lot of things, and a lot of it was due to the fact that because they had all this space on a CD. Like if you look at um, RPGs beforehand, that before Final Fantasy VII sort of changed the game, you had stuff like Wild Arms and Sui Koden, which were in fact looked way closer to, like, Super Nintendo-style games, which wasn't yeah. bad. Uh, those are actually still two of my favorite games on the system. It's still up there, so it's one of my favorite RPGs. But, you know, with the whole polygon graphics and the... C- like, Final Fantasy VII did, in fact, for better or worse, change everything. But even stuff like Wild Arms had, like, an anime cutscene to begin with. Oh, yeah. And, frankly, that is one of the most nostalgic moments I can think of when I think of PlayStation is watching the Wild Arms opening with this really nice, quaint, like, whistling, westerny, like, music, which is kind of funny considering the original opening Japan had it was totally a J-pop track. Yeah. It was the same music, but they had an actual Japanese girl, I believe, singing the song. And it's actually way more evocative when they took that out. It just that, had someone whistling. In that case, yeah, for that particular game, kind of had this kind of this Clint Eastwood man with no name kind of thing going on with a lot of the music in the game. Anyways, it just it really felt like you know it's a fancy RPG that sometimes thinks it's a western. I, that's all like you know, and all the music sounded like it could come right out of a spaghetti western. Yeah. And I remember playing Wild Arms. I played Wild Arms like after the fact, mm-hmm. after I played Final Fantasy VII. And that had polygonal graphics as well. But it was only for the battle scenes. Yeah. 
everything else was sprite based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, the polygon graphics really do not hold up. Nah. <laughs> like they really do like, not hold. You up. You might think they're kind of cute. You know, but yeah, no, not great. Uh, uh, Wild Arms 2 maybe a little better, but it has pretty similar graphic standards. Well, for me, another another game that, like, I think uh, it was Breath of Fire 3. Yeah, yeah, that was one that was, I was on the PlayStation. Yeah, PlayStation, Breath of Fire 3 was on the PlayStation. That was actually the first Breath of Fire game I ever played. I went back and got the other two Breath of Fire games that came mm-hmm. out on the Super Nintendo beforehand, but... Breath of Fire 3 was actually my first Breath of Fire game, and I loved it so much. It just seemed so new to me, you know, having only played Final Fantasy games beforehand. And that one did a really neat thing, because it had the weird... It was sprite-based, yet polygon... It was the sprites on polygons in an isometric view. Yes. That you could sort of rotate around a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think you had the full rotation that you would see in later games, but you could sort of, like tilt it to like the left or right a little bit mm-hmm. and so that would allow you to be able to see things that you couldn't normally see and it was like every time they tried to do something like that on the super nintendo it never just worked as well as it did in breath of fire 3 and mm-hmm. breath of fire 3 just seemed like it was the ultimate of that kind of isometric view oh yeah well it was the breath of fire 3 did it really well i felt it really created this more of a lived-in world look to mm-hmm. it that you could do around like other games did it but because it was so, it was, it felt more solid. Yeah. Because things like Xenogears, which we'll get into later, I'm sure, uh, it also had the 3D on the poly, the sprites on the 3D, but it felt way more. I don't want to say slapdash, but it feels like you'd feel the seams more. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because it was a little more slidey. Like you could feel like you could. It, it did not quit feel. Well, like, the character always remained entirely static, but then you right. could spin the background all around. That did kind of look odd sometimes. Whereas, because you were stuck in either a very limited mm-hmm. scale of movement that you could move the backgrounds around, mm-hmm. it sort of made it feel to me more that I was looking into a world. Mm-hmm. And that, that helped me. Yeah. Yeah. Another game, and this is what, this was a, this was a system... Of so many weird graphical stylings and changes and, and well, testings and like it because it could do that like it it like Sony I think they made a very wise move by making it open and easy for people to put like I say easy but like comparatively easy well to put games on their system I, I think it's really a case of the PlayStation was the first video game system mm-hmm. that was designed with 3D graphics yeah in, in mind from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Because the Super Nintendo, they required crazy chips to make it work. Which makes sense, because when they made the Super Nintendo, 3D graphics were not really a thing. Yeah. Those were happening as the Super Nintendo had lived on. Yeah. And even... And that that whole mindset was even present at Sega when they were making the Saturn originally. They had developed it to be the ultimate 2D machine. Mm -hmm. They weren't even thinking about 3D graphics. And when they found out that Sony was focusing on the 3D graphics, that's when they had to throw in another processor for 3D graphics and then borked their programming language all up because suddenly there was this whole other thing that you weren't even supposed to be able to use or even intended in the Saturn. Whereas the PlayStation was designed for this in the ground up and you could still do awesome 2D stuff because you just could map them to the polygons. What about Tomb Raider? 
I almost forgot about Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider started on PlayStation. I can't believe I almost forgot about Tomb Raider. You know how lo- how many hours I spent making Laura Croft blow up? Like, not even in the zone, like, just in, like, her little house. <laughs> like, you know, the tutorial house zone. Like, I just hung out there so much. You just, like, would sit there with the torches and try to get her clothes off. Even though it didn't work, it just made her blow up. <laughs> I, I kept thinking that if I just did it right this 180th time, it would it would work. But like that was a scant that was like a scantilizing thing. The thought that I could make this video game character's clothes all come off, and that you would want to do so. <laughs> but I just remember falling to my death a lot as I would try jumps and not quite make them. Oh man, speak <laughs> jumping flash. Jumping Flash, Jumping yeah. Flash was a thing. That was like, like an early PlayStation game. It's like a almost a weird mecha game, except you're in a robot bunny rabbit. <laughs> and it's one of the. It was back when I could actually play first person games. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that I could play this game then. When I think about it now, because this was such an early. It was a first person platforming game, and the whole idea was that you were making all these crazy, insane jumps. And going through these levels, and you're constantly just jumping, and all your angles are getting all weird yeah. and and funky because this was so like they didn't know what first person really should do. Yeah, but it even informed things like Metroid Prime later on because when you would you you would get a double jump, and when they did the double jump, they would angle you more so you could see where you're about yeah. to land, and that's actually they actually incorporated like way onto the GameCube era mm-hmm. into first person games to sort of help you. Simulate the act of jumping. Yeah, there's one that was similar that I don't think hardly anybody played, but Brahma Force Assault on Belt Logger 9, which was basically a serious jumping flash, like mecha game. Like you were in the mm. mecha suit assaulting a space station, you know, some horrible AI, you know, stock sci-fi plot. Um, but it, it had a lot of platforming, along with you got to kill robots that want to kill you. And Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah. Yeah. Final Fantasy Tactics might be one of my most played games in my life. Yeah, full confession, I never really warmed up to Tactics. Really? Yeah. Re- You're a monster! Apparently <laughs> I am a monster. Like, man, that building and grinding out my teams and, and dealing, you know, it was the it was one of, it was my first Matsuno game who eventually, you know, who, who did you know, Tactics. I know he did Ogre Battle and and Tactics Ogre, then he went eventually on to help found, you know, Final Fantasy, you know, 12, and he's done all sorts of other things. But my first real, real experience really digging into one of his games was was Tactics, and I, I literally dumped hundreds of hours into that game, just playing it over and over, and l- earning things, and trying to beat those stoops of graph, and, and white graph, and then crystals, the, the church is evil, and Monsters and oh man, yeah, and, and it's like all those other games you said. I like those. I really don't know what it is about tactics. I was never really able to get into Final Fantasy Tactics. Although God, I remember freaking. Every now and then, I would just get in this mood, and I would just need to play Final Fantasy Tactics. Like, just nothing else would do. I'd get over it, but but there'd be like a day or two where I just needed to play tactics. The other two games I played like never ending was Castlevania Symphony Night. Mm-hmm. Like I played through the game so many times, mm-hmm. so yeah. many times. 
Yeah. It was just really fun running around as Alucard, just hacking and slashing and using spells and stuff. And and when you play through the game and when you get to the central point, then you realize you get to play the entire game all over again just in the game with the upside-down castle. Mind blown! Yeah. <laughs> I remember taking my Mary card to a friend's house. We were doing a sleepover, and I, don't, I didn't get to do this very often. Yeah. And... I was like, got these things. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. He's like, my friends are like, go here. If that's where the game starts off. I was like, okay. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh man, that was that was, that was good times. And Tekken Four was also on the original PlayStation. Was Tekken Four? I know Tekken Three was. Like Tekken's one, two, and three for sure were. You know what? I'm thinking of Tekken Three. I don't know why I said Tekken Four just there, but Tekken Three. That was, I never really got into the fighting games on the Nintendo, on the Super Nintendo, Nintendo, and, and that generation mm-hmm. beforehand. But on the PlayStation, that's where, when they, it was right at the moment when they moved to 3D fighting, 3D fighters rather than 2D fighters that I actually started playing them. And I had a blast with, like, me and my little sister would just sit there and, like, beat each other up and tech. Yeah, man. The PlayStation had such a great lifespan. Well, like, the, like it also had other things like Parappa the Rapper, you know. Yeah, and it Um had, Jammer Lammy, the spinoff. Yeah, it, it <laughs> had like, it wasn't the first Dance Dance Revolution on? Oh yeah, tons of them. I remember that. that that's a huge part of our our early, you know, memories, especially like during our beginnings of the Anime Club. Yeah. And stuff yeah, where and Dance Jan- Dance Revolution was a thing that most people hadn't heard of yet because it was a weird Japanese import. And this is still, like, in, like, the early 2000s. You know, this is when, you know, back when the PlayStation 2 and Dreamcast stuff were was still happening. We were still, like, I remember James bringing his modded mm-hmm. PlayStation 1 full of his, uh, his CD-ROM burned copies of Dance Dance Revolutions and yeah. his plastic pads that I think we na- eventually nailed down the board so they wouldn't scoot around. Yeah. <laughs> and we played DDR... And and that's why I mean, like, it had such a huge, like, like I mean, I didn't have a, I mean, this is getting ahead of myself because there's so few more games I want to mention, but I remember playing my PlayStation well into the PS2's lifespan, still playing PlayStation 1 games. Yeah, uh, well, this is getting ahead of ourselves, you know, but that, I think, was the smartest move they made with the PlayStation 2, was letting it play the PlayStation 1 games, because that meant when the PlayStation 2 hit... It opened up this entire. It, it came built in with this library of games, so that you could all play just right from the beginning. And while we're talking about all the high points of the PlayStation, mm-hmm. there were a lot of low points, like the kind of the counter side of it being so much easier to make a PlayStation game is that a bunch of crap got through too. Oh yeah, and again, <laughs> it's a whole CD-ROM based thing where it was super cheap. Yeah. To press a bunch of discs. Like, it was, like, you know, it was way more cents of a dollar instead of paying multiple dollars for cartridges. And also, remember this, people also don't realize that Super Nintendo games would go up to, like, $80 a game. Yeah, I... Depending on the game. Like, a lot of, especially RPGs would get up to, like, 80 sometimes even 100 bucks. Yeah. 
like Chrono Trigger was like eighty or hundred bucks when it came out. Yeah, well, not Nintendo, but Sega Genesis, Fantasy Star Four was up there too in that price that price range. Because RPGs took a lot of memory because there was a lot of game to them. Yeah, a lot of different levels, all different tile sets, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, CDs they would hold a ton of memory, and they were super cheap to yeah to produce. And so, yeah, you could get tons of shovelware, mm-hmm. way cheaper made and, and produced and created and out there in stores than you had for. And there was a ton of crap, tons of it. There was a game that we had on the PlayStation that was so freaking terrifying at the time. Like, alone in the dark. <laughs> yeah. That was what was, you know... Which I recall was apparently not even a good port of the PC version. No, but... it wasn't. It was terrible. But we were so scared of that game. Like, that was a video or... game that we would, like, take out. The, yeah. Like, we'd be playing it, we'd get too scared, and we'd take it out of the PlayStation, and we'd go put it in the freezer so it couldn't get us. Or even, not necessarily a bad game, but even, like, bad localization sometimes happened. Like, I recall uh, Tales of Destiny... One the first of the Tales of series I encountered, although not the first game in the series, but the first available in the U.S., there was actually a puzzle that was unsolvable because it was translated wrong. Like you, and in the days before ready access to, like, online walkthroughs, you were just kind of screwed. Breath of Fire 3 actually had... One of the things, like, they went the desert. Yeah, it did. It took you, like, the wrong direction. They did, yeah. But even things like Final Fantasy VII, which we thought was like so edgy, a lot of the edges was Barrett. He was constantly cursing, and that was all made up. Yeah, he wasn't like, constantly cursing. But they like you know, and there's and man, freaking Final Fantasy Tactics. As much as I love that game, I don't know how I played it. <laughs> like there are just some time, there are some really really weird uses of the English language. I don't know anymore, man. But then you have also other things like. You know, the scandalous games like Thrill Kill. The game so violent they could never release it that eventually it was turned into a Wu-Tang Clan game. <laughs> did it get released? Oh, yeah. That one got released. The Wu-Tang one did, yeah. They had a Wu-Tang totally. Clan game. They did, didn't they? They yeah. did. Wu-Tang Shaolin style. Uh, the sad part is I probably blocked the worst games out of my mind at this point. It's now, been so many years. The PlayStation was such a great thing for our family because our Dad would also play the PlayStation. Like, my dad never touched the Nintendo or the Super Nintendo unless we were actively, like, petitioning him to come play with us. Mm -hmm. But the PlayStation, he would actually sit there and go, can I have a turn? And he wanted to play because he wanted to play the Madden games. (laughs) Okay. That's like my my dad. Like, I had no interest in playing the Madden games, but he wanted to play the Madden games. Uh... And he would actually sit around and, and like swear to people that he could tell who was going to win the Super Bowl just because he had played the Madden game. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, we really should start wrapping this up. So, so one more game, one more game, one more game. Well, I feel like I would be, even though it'd be, it's skipping, I might be skipping over Xeno Gears, which was great, but had a flawed second disc. Fine, two more games. You can pick two. I, I, I feel I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the original Persona. You're right. You're right. The original Persona, where it was still mostly a Shin Megami Tensei game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the first person crawling around, you need to really map those dungeons yourself. And the, But with the isometric fight screens where you yeah. actually see your characters. And 
well, compared to Shin Megami Tensei games anyway, it's a way more character-focused storyline where your characters actually interacted and talked. But that was the, one of the very first games that was a really an urban fantasy, mm-hmm. demons and angels and all this crazy mythological crap. At least certainly nowhere. that we got in the U.S. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like this is our first taste of it because this is a series that's been going on since the Nintendo original NES or Famicom. Yeah, in Japan, in some form or another. Yeah, and so this they were you know theoretically used to it, but it was our first taste, and it was such a. And it had such weird, goofy Japanese music and, like, the shops and stuff. Yeah. Like, it was so Japan. <laughs> and I wasn't used to stuff like that. It was kind of a mind-blowing game in those respects. And it was years before you found out how weirdly localized it actually had been. Yeah. Where they had actually changed, like, the actual races of it. It changed the race of the character, hair color. They redesigned the main character's look, so he looked less evil, honestly. Even though he's not, he just has kind of an evil face. <laughs> but, but yeah, Xenogears, that was... It was, you know, what eventually would become Monolith Soft, but it was, yeah. this was a... Uh, square. A square. You had a random cameo from Luca from Chrono, Tr- Cro- or Chrono Trigger. And this is still a Square Soft game. This is before Square Enix mm-hmm. even existed as yeah. a company and there was also dragon quest 7 although i didn't really play it it was you know the most popular dragon quest game ever in japan Mm -hmm. oh but i know they were still printing discs of xenogears by the time they formed square enix because i got one of the last copies printed essentially and it says square enix on it okay but yeah, Xenogears. It well, was, it was a replacement copy. I got the game when it first came Xenogears out. Xenogears was a life experience yeah. for some people. Yeah. Well, yes, because you could spend a good chunk of your life playing that game. <laughs> I I would honestly rate it way higher on my list of favorite RPGs, maybe even threatening the vaunted Fantasy Star 4, except for the second disc is kind of inherently flawed. Yeah, this was a game that was, they were obviously way overplaying their scope. Yeah. Because the second disc suddenly turns into like the last episode of Ava, yeah. the TV show, where suddenly it's the main character recapping everything from while while sitting in a chair. Like you would, it would just like you would jump to from boss fight to boss fight, maybe, and then maybe you might get a dungeon, and then you're at the end of the game where you could wander everywhere, but all you really wanted to do was go to the final dungeon. <sighs> like this was a game. That really wanted to be a 200-hour game. Yeah. That was stuck being 100 hours plus. And if you ever read, like, the side materials for it, they had they basically went on beyond George Lucas' scope in imagining backstory and post-story to the game they came up with is what had to lead up into it. And that's eventually released it, but that's 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 later Which, on. We'll get back to more of that, when we, in, I think, in the PlayStation 2. But do you have another game? One more one more game that really reminds you of PlayStation. PlayStation. Uh, I have several more games that remind me of PlayStation. Uh, Parasite Eve is one that will always stick out in uh, my head. Actually, for me, not liking it. Uh, like, Well, that was a weird game. That was a weird well, game. That was, was different. That was the first game that I ever played in. I ended up taking it out of the PlayStation going, you know, I think this game is too adult for me. Like, that had never happened to me with a video <laughs> game before. You know, I actually get that about the same time as Xenogears. That's actually right after I came back well, from yeah, the Well, yeah, I went and took it back and swapped it out for Xenogears. Like, Xenogears was more my speed. Mm. Aeon, uh, Genesis, Parasite Eve was... It was too much. 
I kind of enjoyed it, sort of a little hybrid shooting RPG thing. It was a weird game, though, but I do remember putting in the time to get the real ending. Like, I had to play through the game at least once. Well, that's the other thing that this... That, that was the other game that I was going to mention, speaking of the real ending. Chrono Cross! Oh, oh right. All right, all right. I guess Chrono it, Cross! <laughs> it has a great soundtrack. Moving on. <laughs> I, I walked around for years oh, after yeah. Chrono Cross... And I would play a video game, and I'd go, well, this, this game was pretty good. It was just missing one thing. And Basil would be like, what? And I'd be like, Glenn. It didn't have Glenn in it. I, I think the best part about that is to get Glenn, you had to be as mean <laughs> as possible to the apparent love interest. You yep. had to be as mean as possible to her to get on the story path where you would get Glenn on your... And then, you know... And even then, there's still a chance that you don't, because it's not that decision alone that gets him. Well, that's the majority of it. You kind of got to, you know, be focus on being mean to her, and that will probably get you there. And that I think that might be the first case since I, when, once I met you, where you would latch on a specific character... Yeah. ...and would not let go <laughs> until you found another character. Like, I'm still on you... Raven. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm still on Raven. But also, too many characters. Chrono Cross had way damn too many well, characters. Chrono Trigger... Chrono Trigger is the first game that I'm really aware of. Again, there may have been other games beforehand, but this Chrono Trigger was the first one I was aware of that had multiple upon multiple of different endings. And the actions you did in-game led to a different ending. And Chrono Cross kind of just took that to, like, the 80 millionth degree. Well, especially with the characters themselves. Yes. And, but they did this really weird thing where, they, you know, they have an accent generator. Mm -hmm. I remember the so, accent generator. So the different characters could say the same thing, but it would sound different. It printed mm -hmm. out in their own particular idiom. Because there were so many characters they had to... Make sure that the same things were said. Yeah. So to make them sound different, they had this this yeah this generator that would churn out take you know text A churn out sort of like Google Translate. Yeah. <laughs> and so you'd make sure the blacksmith guy would have like a Scottish accent go in, or the pirate chick would have her pirate accent. Yeah. I somehow, always imagined Kid sounding like she had an Australian accent. She was supposed to, and that irritated me. Although, by the end of the game, looking at the list of characters, I'm like, why do I have half these people with me? And the gameplay of Chrono Cross was still shitty. It, it was. Sadly, it was. Like, despite everything else, the gameplay of that game was still totally shitty. Like, if you like anything about Chrono Trigger, it Chrono was not Cross basically ate you, digested you, and shat you back out. Your hopes and your dreams. So, yeah. That, that was the other thing about Chrono Cross, is that it was a terrible sequel it was... To Chrono Trigger. A terrible sequel to an amazing game. It would have been fine if they hadn't tried to... Shoehorn it in. Shoehorn it into Chrono Trigger. Like, if they had just let it stand alone on its own, it they probably would have been called okay. it Magic Rainbow Funky Island Dreamtime Action. Yeah. That, that would we would have probably think better of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to stand my ground on PlayStation with Metal Gear Solid. Boo. Yay! That this, was an interesting game. That and was one of the that was that was the third game of games that I would play just 
forever on the original PlayStation. Yep. And Psycho Mantis knew I liked Suey Coden. He did. And he was... could move my controller with his mind. And that freaked my parents out because they didn't know what the DualShock controller was. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Metal Gear Solid, that was one of the first games that, like, messed with you, the player. Yeah, because well, right? that, yeah, that was Hideo Kojima. Like, he really had like, the idea of, like, using video games to really screw around with and, and try to figure out new ways. And that was actually one of the things that something they did do is this was one of the first real cases of introducing a new way of controlling games twice. Yeah. Uh, where they took ideas from Nintendo, oddly enough, and they reworked them to work in ways better than what Nintendo was doing. Yeah. You know, in the first case, it was the analog sticks. Mm-hmm. And in the second case, it was Rumble. Yeah. Where Nintendo, the N64, had the one analog stick... You know, Sony then introduced two analog sticks. Because two is better. Because two is better. And actually, in this case, it was. And then they added the Rumble. That's when they created the DualShock controller. Mm Mm-hmm. was actually a PlayStation 1 controller. And they they took the Sega Nintendo was was adding on Post, which was Rumble, and into this whole new controller. And that became the new standard PlayStation controller. And a lot of the early PlayStation games didn't even use analog. And it was actually, they all used the D-pad. Yeah. Then later on, games lose analog, and Metal Gear was one of the first games where, you know, Kojima's like, first off, well, we have memory cards now. Let me do something weird with memory cards. And he was, and that was when Psycho Mantis, when you're playing Metal Gear, he would go, I can read your mind. Oh, you like Sully Corden. Or a few other Konami games. Yeah, or but... I see you like Castlevania. And then he'd be like, now watch me move your controller with my mind. And then he would make the controller rumble. Yeah. And as, of course, the further minds crew, he was virtually unbeatable if you didn't put your controller in slot two. two. Yeah. <laughs> Just because, I don't know. Because he, he couldn't take, he could take over the controller in slot one, but not slot two for whatever reason. This was also the same game. In order to continue on the game, he had to find the right radio frequency, which was on the back of the PlayStation box. Yeah. And then would also have to tell you, you need to switch discs. Because it was a two-disc game. Yep. But it was also this crazy, awesome government conspiracy technical tactical espionage game where you could stealth around and you're this awesome guy. And it was full... Of, and it was and it suddenly was all this tristy against nuclear weapons. And it had giant robots. And it was the coolest thing ever. It also, I think, I think it was one of the first games to have really good voice acting. Yeah. Like, they are obviously going for this really cinematic approach. And it was also one of the first games to really do the cutscenes, but also all pretty much in-game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and it was, and it's, uh, it's one of my, it's still one of my fi- most favoritest games of all time. I did love doing kind of the, almost a Bugs Bunny routine with hiding in a cardboard box and letting the guard walk a little ways. Walk a little closer behind him when he turns around. It's, oh, just a box. Turns around, yes. keeps walking. Falling. Yes. Those were some stupid guards. I love those poor, stupid bastards. Yes. <laughs> like, they got smarter as the series got on and they got less cool, but they kept the boxes. But, anyways, that's the PlayStation. PlayStation, PlayStation 1. It was like, we could honestly keep going. I'm kind of sad that I decided to do a PlayStation in general podcast. We could have, I think, could have done multiple. Let's just do it on PlayStation 1 and call it a day. How long have we been going with this? Almost almost an hour. Well, if we're almost at an hour, let's just call it. 
let's take a break. We're gonna come back because we do have some questions that people have submitted to us. Okay, let's let's take the questions. And some of those might actually pertain to PlayStation One. So let's take a break, we'll come back with questions and maybe we'll think of some more games. And then we'll do more of this as sort of maybe as maybe as an off and off and again series. Okay. But anyways, we'll figure that out. We'll be right back. This is the awesome cast. PlayStation 1, PSX, and we're going to start wrapping things up. So, Kevin, you remember the game you've yeah. forgotten about. Yeah, it's a very important game, and not so much in the history of gaming, but in my own personal history of life, Saga Frontier. Come to Saga Frontier. Oh, I remember Saga God, Frontier. God, the game was so infuriating. Now, I'm not, this was not, in some ways, okay, let, let it just—it wasn't a very good game. If we're talking in a lot of ways, so it had a great idea. We give you several different characters to choose from, and each character has their own story set in the same universe. Except some of the characters had really well done, fully fleshed out stories. Mm-hmm. Some of the characters you follow what the game seems to think what you're wanting to do, and the only thing in the game that's unique to them is their final boss. Yeah, there's a game. There's a character where if you just follow a storyline. You go straight to the final boss. And you Immediately. You don't notice so right away because the enemies are kind of scaled to your level except for the boss. <laughs> Guess who I picked the very first time I played this stupid freaking game? <laughs> Screw you, Quazu. The guy freaking produced and directed that goddamn game. He just and pretty I, much makes games that are weird. You either learn the mechanics and love them, or you never understand why anything and happens. And I tend to hate them, and Kevin tends to like them. And we discovered this when I was so pissed off at Saga Frontier. That's what it was. Yeah. I had gotten Saga Frontier instead of Final Fantasy Tactics. I was so pissed off this game. You were like, well, I want to play this game, and I sold it to you for cheap. Yeah. So I can then go buy Final Fantasy Tactics. But I... See, what I first played, though, was a Celis's route. And this is why I'm a Yuri fanboy. It, it's true. It's true. Because this, this, like, was the 100% lesbian route. Like, I guess you could argue some ambiguity. But at the time, I had no question in my mind this route was all about lesbians. And I think most people agree with me. <laughs> Just it was, and it was sweet. It was sweet romantic stuff too. Like the, it was still sprite graphics. They couldn't be porny if they tried. But well, I don't know. Xenogears tried. But <laughs> and God, I, I remember talking to Kevin on the phone because we would do this like a lot during the PlayStation era. We would talk on the phone because of us had cars, and we would argue about video games for hours. Like we could fill books of us arguing the merits of Final Fantasy VII. Part of the reason we decided to do podcast. Yeah. Or yeah. eight. Eight was or probably because like, yeah, I yeah. actually liked eight and Basil kind of actively disliked eight for a while. I, I did. And but I remember talking to Kevin and he was like, you know, I think I like lesbians. <laughs> I realized they, they, these are lesbians and I really I really like I think I like lesbians. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, back when I had a live journal and when that was relevant, I I sort of did a little like thing like the things that most influenced me to being a fan of things involving lesbians, hmm. and one of them is Saga Frontier. <laughs> wow. And that's just like you know it was like a, it told me a sweet romantic story that involved a few women with each other, <laughs> and it was like at least and in a lot of ways sprite-based RPGs were some of this you had to make up in your own head but yeah. the game did a pretty good job of filling it in on its own. Nice. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. And who can who can forget Sony decided they wanted to make their own Final Fantasy VII with Legend of Dragoon. Oh, yeah. That was like... I remember that this game... It came out, I remember all the re- initial reviews were like, Sony's really, really wishing they were making a Final Fantasy VII game here. Mm-hmm. Like, not Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy VII. And they just really didn't quite hit the mark. And then I played it and went, yeah, I can sort of see this. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. They got various colored armor. They each have their own unique mechanics for each of the different suits, each of the different Dragoons. But I'm not really, really feeling it. And then years later, everyone talked to us like, oh man, do you remember Legend of Dragoon? That was so good. <laughs> it was kind of like Final Fantasy VII. I like, actually, I think the graphics hold up a little bit better, but they still look kind of bad now. Well, it was, it was, the game did come out two years later. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was a later PlayStation game. So it makes sense. But yeah, I actually really liked it. I really liked the, oh, you transform into cool dragon armor, and that makes you, like, super powerful for a couple turns. That, I like that part of it. I like I like the transforming hero element, you know. Before I knew what Common Rider was. Um. <laughs> well, I have a PlayStation One related question. Okay. Seven, eight, or nine. Well, that's actually what I was about to transition to because <laughs> I realized we talked a bit about seven. We never really yeah. got to eight or nine. It's and they sort of are a thematic trilogy of their own. Yeah. Uh, because one sort of led to the other, where. Seven was this brand new heralding of how do you, how does Final Fantasy even work on this new console? In a lot of ways, eight was an extension, and then also hits off to left field. Yeah, where it felt to me like a lot of characters like they took like a lot of ideas from seven, then reinterpreted them for eight. Yes, where Squall feels a lot like a different take on Cloud. Yeah. You know, Renoa very much feels like this weird combination of Tifa and Eris. Yes. And Selfie pretty much just is Yuffie. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> but, you know, all the characters are now realistic proportion in, in all areas. Mm-hmm. There's no weird switch between Lego people and not Lego people. Yes. And it graphically holds up a little bit better than, than Seven does. And they were seriously trying to now tell a more quote-unquote realistic story, quote-unquote about love. Yes. I don't know if they succeeded. I don't know if they succeeded, that. But... Well, eight is a game that I, I I want to go back and play. I still have not gone back and played it. It's currently the only Final Fantasy that I do not have in my possession. Uh, because I was so... Af- like, I looked forward to that game so much. I was anticipating it coming out so badly... And, and I was sitting there, and I got it the day it came out, and I went home and I played it, and I was so disappointed. Because I think that in my heart of hearts, I was really wanting Final Fantasy VII again, 
Mm-hmm. I was wanting a new Final Fantasy VII, and this game is not Final Fantasy VII. But the thing that I ultimately remember, I ultimately remember about it, is that you know whatever complaints I had about the characters, whatever complaint I had about the story or the battle system, all of that was superficial to the fact that Squall himself was not fun to move across the screen. <laughs> that you know it was kind of fun running Cloud around and like making him like making the little let crate Lego block person like run all over crazy ways, you know, and he moved and he moved very well from one side of the screen to the other side of the screen across the little map, and I didn't feel that way with Squall. A lot of the times it felt like a lot of the times as I was moving Squall around, it felt like I was like I was stuck, like he wasn't going fast enough even though I was running. And then other times it felt like he was going too fast and I was blowing by things I wanted to look at. I just remember I would think something snarky and that would be what Squall actually said. Yeah, you really, really connected with Squall. I don't, or what he would think and maybe not even say out loud. It's like, damn it, Squall, stop. You're thinking what I'm thinking, man. And I remember going like, God, this character is so stupid. (laughs) I was much more interested in playing in Laguna. Me too. Like, Laguna seemed like a way more carefree, fun guy who was actually trying to do things, and Squall was just this freaking effervescent drifter who was just saying whatever to everything, and that just, that wasn't who I was. That wasn't, who like, you know, and, and I was talking about it, I was like, oh, I, I kind of like the guy. Says what I'm going to say. Yeah. Whatever. Admittedly, yeah. I've grown up some since then, but at the time, it was like he was kind of the, he kind of had that little, you know, he was thinking all those snarky thoughts about, why the hell do I gotta flip the switch? You know, kind of. You know, it's like, <laughs> like yeah, right. You know, it's like. <laughs> and I also remember the uh, the weird junction draw system. Yeah, that's kind which, of a which uh, was really weird when we first played it. But nowadays, once I've now gotten you know, many years older and actually read up on it, realize that might be the most fun thing to break ever. Yeah, like that. That and crazy materia combos from Seven. You could both of those games were highly breakable. They were, and that's actually one of my biggest problems of Seven was that I, I felt that all the characters felt playing wise were a bit more interchangeable, and I really missed the more. I really missed the these very specific job functions you would get in Final Fantasy Four. Yeah, but still, you still had that sort of you know, you could customize a bit, but not as much in Seven and Six. Yes. Oh yeah, in six, everyone had their own gimmick, and by the time you got to the point where magic wasn't just Terra and Celeste's gimmick, and everyone could learn it, they had their own gimmicks. Yeah. Besides, and I really, mm-hmm. really liked that. But you know, seven did have its own things. Like limit breaks were all different. Uh huh. You know, there were there were there were different things, and eight also did it. But they really went back to that same style in in nine. Yes. Because one of the biggest people's Seven was, while the most popular Final Fantasy, even now I think it probably still is. Yeah, it was also the one of the most divisive mm-hmm. Final Fantasies because you really had this these two camps where the guys who really grew up on the NES and Super Nintendo Final Fantasies, and then a lot of people who actually came in on the Seven train. Yeah, I want equipment slots on all my limbs and weapons and accessories <laughs> and. 
I want specific abilities for each character that makes means it matters which ones I have in my party. And I, I want, like, four elemental fiends and some crystals and... Yes! Yeah! And, yes! That great! That sounds amazing! And that's what they gave us in 9. It's basically a love letter back to the, you know, the early Final Fantasy games. Yeah, like, it's sort of, in some ways, it's both step, a step back and a step forwards for the series. Mm-hmm. Because in 9, they, they went also went back to a more super-deformed character designs for the roaming around the, the maps... Mm-hmm. And then a slightly more realist style for the battles, but even then they sort of developed the entire idea, sort of had this more overall super deformed style in general. Yes. And Square has yet to issue an apology for all the dagger cosplayers because you cannot cosplay dagger without making yourself look like you have a huge ass. <laughs> so, anyways, Kevin's crazy, but um, it, dag- dagger cosplays make everybody look fat. It doesn't matter. It makes you, everyone look fat. You say fat, I say awesome. But, but the, the it was such a, it was it was really it was really neat way they they took all the technological leaps they had made between seven and eight, mm-hmm. incorporated them to nine, but then used this more goofy art style to make it a more unified whole. Yeah, and With generally charming weirdo characters. Mm-hmm. And they also, once again, all the characters had their own specific gimmicks. It had its own weird things, like you would learn all your abilities from all the items you equipped. Yeah. And that, that seems normal to me, playing Tales games. Yeah. That it's... screwed me over when I fought the final boss, where I somehow missed the thing that gave you immunity to, to petrify. <laughs> oh, no. And the final boss, which is my other big thing in the game, is that the final boss really comes out of nowhere. Yes. Apparently, Nowhere. they rewrote the ending of that game like five or six times. So somehow that boss stayed, but his relevance never made sense <laughs> at all. Like you, you think you've beaten the game honestly, and then you wake up and this area goes on the boss, fight it, and then the game ends. Like, and it's like, what? That really is a what the the other than the final boss, like the whole game. Even in weirdest, largely made sense up to that point. <laughs> but that game is... But I still feel that game is still super awesomely charming. I want to go back and play it again because I remember when I when I first got it and I was playing it, I thought that it felt like cake. It was it was sweet. It it was delicious. Like there was a bunch that like I really enjoyed. But at the same time, when it was all said and done. I didn't feel like it did anything new. I think that that I think that I'm incorrect in that opinion. But that was the opinion I had of it at the time. I do remember. I think I mentioned this possibly before, but around the same time this game was existing, we were actually playing that Final Fantasy um, tabletop game mm-hmm. and at the Anime Club I was running, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I inadvertently created a lot of the plot of Final Fantasy Nine by accident. <laughs> like, a lot of the things I was putting in motion and did... Like, yeah, I, I remember that. Like, and you, you were playing and your game, and then Final Fantasy IX came out, and a bunch of it was the same stuff. You also inadvertently created a lot of the plot of Final Fantasy fourteen, a good chunk of time before it existed. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a genius, <laughs> and I know what makes good Final Fantasies, apparently. Anyways, so let's, let's get on to some questions. Okay. 
Unless, like, unless, well, do you want to talk about any, any Mega Man? Because I know you, you saw Mega Man in your collection, and you were, you, this is this was the time period where you were the gigantic. I was a gigantic Mega Man guy, fan. gigantic one. Where you were trying to instate it as a religion. It was. <laughs> with, with, my, with our friends. Like, you know, <laughs> Mega Man died for you multiple times. <laughs> for your sins. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like if you jumped him around like the way he jumps, like he pretty much looks like he's hanging up on the cross or oh. something. <laughs> and oh. and just like in classic Christian mythology, Doctor White walked like this. Yes, that's classic Christian mythology. <laughs> oh, and Mega Man could never, you know, he would always turn the other cheek at the end. He could that's never right. kill Doctor Wily. Could never kill Doctor Wily, even Wiley. when he really should have. No, evil Doctor Wily. I mean, say it right, Oh, White. And of course, this was also when you know, in the Zero series, this is when Zero finally realized he didn't know what he was fighting for. Like I did want to mention Mega Man Legends. Oh yeah, God. Oh. But that... I I actually refrained from mentioning Mega Man Legends earlier because Mega Man Legends, it pretty much was Mega Man sixty four, right? Well, Mega Man sixty four was a port of Mega Man Legends. Oh oh, is that how it went? I thought yeah. it was the other way around. No no no, Mega Man Legends was a was the was the originals. Okay, Legends and Legends two. Legends and Legends 2, I love those games. I love them so much. Like, I actually did not like first-person shooters until Mega Man Legends. And still, to this day, it might be my favorite shooter. That was also a third-person. Well, that's what I meant. Okay. Like, uh, when I I say first-person shooter, I'm not actually referring to... Oh, so you're referring to, like, the shooter, just an, a shooter in that style in general. Yeah, like, I was following around behind the character shooting at things rather okay. than sitting at a fixed point with my camera. Well, this was one, again, this is, a PlayStation was a realm of a lot of firsts, and the first thing, a full 3D, mm-hmm. and I think this was Capcom's honest idea to try and take the ideas of Mega Man mm-hmm. and put it in 3D, and I think it did a really good job, and it's a real darn shame that... They leave Mega Man on the moon in Mega Man Legends 2, and they will never finish that story. Ever. Like, there's there's one boss in Mega Man Legends that it's so eerie and almost kind of heartbreaking in this weird sort of way, because you're underwater, you've gotten all this gear, and you've equipped all this gear, and you have to jump down into the water, so you're falling slowly because you're underwater. Uh... And as you're going, you're just, like, falling into the darkness when all of a sudden, like, this giant boss that you have to ride on in order to defeat him, like, comes up out of the depths of darkness. And you have to you have to do the fight, like, on his back. Yeah, so... Yep, on the Hydra's back. Like, and it's, like, and right as you're falling into the boss's zone just to get a look at things, like... There's this moment where it feels so isolated and lonely. Like, it's it's just amazing and beautiful. Well, there's even things like, we even mentioned stuff like, again, like Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. Sort of recre- you know, redefining what survival horror was. You know, I think I mentioned Alone in the Dark when I think the piece that, I think the game that most people actually remember is the Resident Evil series in Silent Hill. Oh, yeah, well, that's the other one. Silent Hill was that sort of, that, that re-redefined survival horror into the whole and man that game even though it's playstation one is so creepy mm-hmm. so creepy the the yeah. sound effects that thing uses that 
that strangely is still pretty creepy even now. <laughs> well, there, I feel there's something really weirdly iconic about really well-designed uh, 3D PlayStation games. Mm-hmm. Like, Metal Gear has this aesthetic to it. Somehow aesthetic. Another one actually has a really good aesthetic to it is Vagrant Story. Mm-hmm. Which we hadn't mentioned before. Uh, which was sort of one of Square's swan songs of the PlayStation, in my mind. Where it was another... Um, Omatsu game, not Omatsu, Matsuno game. Um, that's technically takes place theoretically in the same universe as uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and Twelve and all that. It's, it's in the Evilese yeah. uh, compendium. But yeah, and I remember playing that a game again on my Vita because I hadn't played it before, and it's got all this really well designed lighting mm-hmm. that I didn't realize a PlayStation One could even produce. Okay, yes, it's probably using all predetermined lighting, but they've got this stuff where they were so silhouettes of characters and only, like, the highlights of their bodies would be lit up. Yeah. Like, and it looks super artistic and cool, and I was, I'm, is this really a PlayStation 1 game? Did I forget? that Even Final Fantasy, like, 9, I forgot how good a well-designed later model PlayStation 1 game mm-hmm. could seriously look. And Vagrant Story was was the first game that really reminded me of that. So we got a bunch of questions. Okay, let's hear uh, questions. Well, some questions. first one's from Dylan. He actually gave me two, but the first one doesn't really mean anything until later on, because he's talking about later PlayStation stuff. Well, let's but, go ahead and ask it. Let's just... Well, we're going to talk about this stuff later. Oh, okay. So I'd rather talk about it when it's more relevant. Okay. Because that, what he's asking is extremely relevant to the PlayStation Vita and PlayStation TV. Oh. So that's more PlayStation 4 modern okay. PlayStation stuff. <laughs> But his second question, I do, I think, can apply for now, for at least half of it, which was between A Link Between Worlds and Bravely Default on 3DS, basically renewed my interest in Nintendo because it reminded me of what I love about those genres from the NES era, SNES era. Are there any similar Vita or PS1 slash PS2 games I'm missing out on? So let's just take this for PS1 only. And I think a lot of the RPGs of this era totally qualify. Yeah, le- like I know I said, Dragon I, uh, Breath of Fire Three. Uh, Breath of Fire Three is definitely one that it's kind of similar to that. Well, I, I think Breath of Fire also Breath of Fire Four. Yeah, totally, and that's a, that's another really neat game, kind of short, but it's. Yeah, Breath of Fire Four. Oh, Breath of Fire Four! I have such feels about Breath of Fire Four. Doug says feelings. Yes, feelings. I have such feelings about Breath of Fire Four. I don't even know if I want to get into it right now. I don't even know. It that's that's a game that it's interesting. It's so it has so many elements that are so so good to it. Uh especially how like especially how like 
it's divided so that you kind of get the feeling that you're playing both the pro- you're playing both the protagonist and the antagonist of the story, and that you, and you're hoping that eventually they they meet somewhere in the middle. The biggest problem with the game is that right when you think that the game is really getting into the swing of things, things are really starting to get moving along, it ends. Yeah. It ends. Like, if the game was twice as long, if, like, they had just kept going with the things, like, like they had just introduced, like, the dark, evil, scary part of the wicked empire, and, like, they'd started alluding to some of the shadier dealings with the good kingdom, and, like, it just really had this feeling, like, if they had just kept going, it would have been one of the most amazing games ever, but instead, they stopped short. Like, I kept checking online just in case I played it wrong. Yeah. And that there was actually a whole other chunk of game I never saw, but as far as I can tell, no, there was never not. It, it just The whole it's, game it's, was a little bit like premature ejaculation. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, and, and, and you know, not on the podcast, but yeah. Yeah. I think we've used that same term. But other games, like the first two Suicodens, coincidentally, just got released for the PlayStation Vita. Well, Suicoden 2 did. Well, Suicoden 1 was, they had their, they, they had not cleared it as a Vita game. You can just download it and play on your Vita. You had to transfer it from your PS3. Is it, is it? Can you download it now? I think so. I think now. I think it. I think both Suicoden One and Two. I haven't tried because I've just I've been having enjoying Suicoden Two because, in my opinion, that's the better game. But but they're both good. They're both breezy. Mm-hmm. They're they're still in the original twenty to 20, 30 hour camp. Uh, because that's all. The other thing we didn't talk about really is that the birth of the gigantic hundred hour RPG. Yeah, this was came from the PlayStation. One. It was yeah. a, the Super Nintendo games, like even Final Fantasy, like six was still like a thirty-five hour game at most. Yeah. Yeah. Like with Suicoden, actually with Suicoden, that's highly variable. If you want to take time to find all one hundred and eight stars of destiny, some of which can be missable if you go out looking for them too late in the game, um, that can eat a chunk of your life. But I would say Suicoden's one and two are really good. Um, I'm a huge still fan of Final Fantasy Tactics. Even if uh, the remake on PSP is even better. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they retranslate it, and they add some neat cutscenes, and that's what I play, I, that's how I'd play it. Also, the Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9 are all downloadable. Now, and these are all games that are like, you know, 6 to 10 bucks. Yeah. So, they're decently cheap. Um, I don't think Metal Gear may be the game for you in this case. Because, man, it in some ways, gameplay-wise, it, it has not aged well. Um, um, well, other than you need, well, actually, I kind of, it's getting a bit from PS1, but, uh, the PSP remake of the Persona. Yeah. Um, which will take care of the mapping for you, which was maybe the most difficult part of the original game, as well as restoring what we didn't get in the US version, uh, is a pretty, but otherwise being largely the same game. Or the, uh... Or either the Persona 2 games. Or Persona 2. Because they did do the PSP remake of the first game of the, of the set, but they you could also still download the what we got of the PlayStation 1 game, the second game of the set, because uh, they did uh, two... Persona 2 was actually two games. Yeah. Was it Innocent Sin and Eternal Punishment? Yeah, the weird thing is we got the second of the two games, which is weird because there was a lot of elements that could carry over from one game to the other. And we still never got this because we only got the PSP remake of Innocence of Sin. one, and they actually did a PSP remake of the second one, but because they'd already worked, did all the work 
on the PS1 release of the second game of the set, they just re-released that version over again. They said it wasn't worth trying to redo it all over again when it was decent enough by itself. So you sort of, been, well, at least in the first game, you can explore the the gay romance option, which according to the creator is the canon romance. Yay! <laughs> also, we talked about a whole bunch of games. So any games we talked about previously caught your interest, do do check them yeah, out. Both, both PlayStation 1 Wild Arms are totally available on the store. There was a PlayStation 1 game that I played, and I loved it, but I can't find it anymore, and it seems like nobody else remembers it, and that was Thousand Arms. Oh, Thousand yeah. Thousand Arms. I remember uh, Thousand Arms. Oh, Thousand that Arms game, was so good. Baby's First Dating Sim. Yeah. Yeah! That was a weird... That was a game because it was apparently really prone to glitching out, like tiny smudges, little itty-bitty scratches that would not stop other games. Ruined Thousand Arms. Yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. But that was my first dating sim. I remember that now. Yeah, and it was my made, first dating sim, too. And it made no difference which girl you went after, because you always ended up with the one girl anyways. It well, was the girl I chose. Well, the real purpose of the dating sim was that... Okay, so you're a magical blacksmith. And in order to create your magical blacksmithy weapons, you have to have an assistant... And so you're getting one of the girls in the games that's like one of your other party members to be your assistant when you're forging your new weapon. And how she feels about you will reflect... Like, I like the pirate chick with the eye patch who had no need of the eye patch. She just thought it was cool. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I remember, now I'm also remembering, speaking of these RPGs, Rhapsody. Rhapsody. The musical RPG. That strangely got a 3D or a DS re-release. Yeah. Like, where it was filled with these super cheesy songs. I'm normally so against musicals, but I think this one was so, so camp. I, I, and the fact that your grand attack was was crushing your enemies in giant stacks of pancakes. I, I still remember that the evil queen or whatever, the big bad, she had her literally ha- had a song about how she wanted the, the male hero, well, not the hero, but the love interest guy. Like, she wanted him for herself and her minions all ch- sung, chipped in behind singing, even though you're old enough to be his mother. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was, it was actually pretty, pretty funny. And oh, I'm trying to remember the, that was um, a, one of the that was a, a quirky experimental little RPG. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like it was so was so weird. Designs games. No, Thousand Arms wasn't. No, I think was it was it Atlas or it might have been Atlas. I do not remember. Uh, Atlas, either Atlas or Working Designs was usually responsible for the quirkiest RPGs yeah. of the time. And Grand Stream Saga. I remember Grand Stream Saga. That was the last game by Quintet, who had made like Soul Blazer and Terra Enigma that we yeah. never saw, and, and Illusion of Gaia. Ooh. And well, don't say ooh because Grand Stream Saga was not ooh. Oh, but I love Illusions of Gaia. But Illusion of Gaia was I do, good. I do remember Grand Stream. I played all the way through Grand Stream Saga. That was like the I think the last major Quintet game. I remember, and it was. It was clearly obvious they were not used to polygons. Yeah. Because yes. that game looked like a hot mess. It was a weird action RPG, 
that kind of worked, but kind of different. It, it was a mix different. of good and bad. D- didn't, you know, it's... Uh, or uh, Alundra. Yeah. Which was, I think, a Landstalker sequel that we never got. We got, but I never played Landstalker, and Alundra was another game that was... It was kind super of a, creepy, and I didn't realize it was going to be super creepy when I played it. Yeah, it, it sort of looks like kind of a Zelda clone at first. And, yeah, yeah, but but uh, there are there's a, oh man, there's so many freaking games that I played on this PlayStation. Like this was this was possibly my most played video game system ever. Really think about it, besides Super Nintendo. Like I really, really sunk some yeah, and especially heavy time in PlayStation with, like 1. the PlayStation Store. PlayStation 1 classics that you can play oh, yeah. on your PS3 or your PSP or Vita. I've gotten a lot of mileage out of some of those old tiles, titles still to this day. <laughs> Alright, so from Mr. John Robbins at Johnny5, he's got a PlayStation-related question here. Okay. What is a man? Nothing but a miserable pile of secrets? Die, monster! You don't belong in this world! Yeah. But enough talk. Have at you. Yeah. Man, tell me, folks, you need to watch Garo, because when they're in their robot suit, or when they're in their magical robot suits, they totally talk like how everyone talks in, in Symphony of the, of the Night. Night. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. Symphony of the Night has some amazingly good bad voice acting. It does, or when you flip it over, this is a PlayStation Black Disc. Yes, I forgot. <laughs> and it plays a random sound before it gets horrible screeching static. Yeah, like if you try to play it as a CD, you get Alucard's voice telling you it's like it's a game, moron. You know. All right, and from Adam Perry, ex- experiment. This is really for Kevin. Why is Sega objectively the best video company to ever exist? Because they made Fantasy Star Four. Screw you, Adam. It's Nintendo all the way, and this is a PlayStation. Yeah, seriously though, just gives me an excuse to say one more time, Fantasy Star 4 is the greatest RPG ever made. Man, this this whole nostalgia reminds me of how much I really liked really liked Sony back in the day. Hey, when uh when did the Dreamcast come out in when did the Dreamcast come out in relevance to the PlayStation? I don't know, because when uh, they came out with Fantasy Star Online, Fantasy Star died for me. So I stopped caring. Uh I remember correctly the US release was nine nine ninety nine. Yeah. So it was in 1999. So it was, it was near so like more on the that, that's more on the PlayStation 2's challenge level. It was, but remember the PlayStation One, it had games coming out for it well into like the early 2000s. Oh, I remember because uh, I actually got uh, I actually got Final Fantasy Nine on the PlayStation Two version, which I thought it was a PlayStation Two game. And that was part of my press to get a PlayStation 2. It was the first game I played on the PlayStation 2 was Final Fantasy 9. Uh, but it turned out that Final Fantasy 9 was a PlayStation 1 game. Yeah, because they released the PS1 revision Yeah. in 2000. Yeah. And they, and they still produced those for a couple of years after the fact. So, like, uh-huh. you know, PlayStation still had its heyday, like, well into, like, the early 2000s. Yes. And again, and we'll get to this in our PS2 episode... Like, I played my PlayStation 1, like, well into that. But, so, objectively, Sega would have been the greatest video company ever if it wasn't for That Sun Is Better. So, moving on from uh, Pets Prime, or Santa Prime, because this is in December. What is the best mascot over the life of PlayStation? They had a mascot? Was Crash Bandicoot PlayStation's 
first mascot, or was that Spiral of the Dragon? Um, I believe it is actually Toro Inoue, who was um, PlayStation mascot in like nineteen nine, but only in, on the Japan side. Oh, like have you ever seen like the cute like white cat, like ever in PlayStation stuff, like especially uh-huh. the Japanese side PlayStation stuff? That was oh, yeah. Toro. Oh, okay. Um, and he was actually... There was also, like, Polygon Man, who was, like, this really weird-looking political head <laughs> that was in the very, very beginning of PlayStation. Yeah. But, you just reminded me of Pepsi Man. Oh, yeah, there was also Pepsi Man. But that was more of a, on the Sega side, really. Yeah. But, because he was, like, in, what, Fighting Vipers? Anyways. I, I um, think they got a PlayStation... I think Pepsi Man was either on PlayStation or it was a, on PlayStation also. Have. I actually think that PlayStation, like, PlayStation itself has basically been plagued by a series of failed mascots as opposed to, uh, as opposed to Nintendo and Sega, who both got their mascots pretty square on. Well, I mean, well, even Sega, they didn't have a mascot until later on. Yeah. Like, they didn't figure out their mascot well until the, you know, the Sega Genesis era. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, completely skipping over the, uh, the, uh, the Master System. Yeah. Where, like, you know, Nintendo sort of lucked into their mascot. Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of made Mario, he became incredibly iconic, they're like, oh, sweet, got a mascot. And they had made it, it really work for Nintendo, and Sega, like, you know, responded like, well, we need a mascot. Mm-hmm. And Sony was the first company that really, really realized... tried to have a mascot. And succeeded in spite of needing a mascot. They succeeded because of great business sense. Yes. <laughs> like... Um, but, like, in America, like, for us, it really kind of was Crash. I mean, and Sony really, you know, they were, they were using, you know, commercials of Crash. He was going into places and using a megaphone and talking smack about Sonic and Mario saying, like, no, those guys are both lame. If you want edgy, I'm your man. 90s Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, what up? <laughs> yeah, Fucking I remember 90s. those now. <laughs> Fucking everything those. edgy in the 90s is characters. But oh. if I had to pick a... I would have to pick a mascot. I'm still going Toro. Okay, okay. And that, that was it for questions. Like, we didn't have a grand question segment, but they're important all the same. And Dylan still has another one in the chamber when we get closer to the PS4 Vita era. Sweet. So, final final thoughts on the original PlayStation. I'm going to go home and play Final Fantasy IX right now. I know I'm playing Sui Coden, but now I want to go play nine some more. Yeah, all this nostalgia talk has actually made me want to play some of this, these old games again. I know that what's really going to happen is I'm going to log on and play Final Fantasy XIV again. Right. But it's it's put in me a want to play some of the, these older games, uh, you know, all, all the ones we've talked about. Right. I kind of want to... I want to play some pl- PlayStation games on my new Sony phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really... That's what makes my awesome is my new freaking phone from Sony. And like I'm, so I'm all into Sony Kool Aid right now, but yeah, like I'm, well, I'm definitely going to be buying Sweet Coden Two now on the on for my Vita to try that out because I never played Sweet Coden Two. That was one of my big regrets. Yeah, was, you know, you know, I actually never played Saga Frontier. I, I always wanted to, and I never actually did. Don't. That sadly doesn't have a well, or goodly badly does not have a PS a PlayStation Store release. Now, that said, but, if you find the discs, you can. Totally throw them into your PlayStation Three because all PS Three yeah. will play all. Oh, and it'll PlayStation be cheap. One games. It'll be cheap. <laughs> and do you mean Saga Frontier? Do you mean Sui Coden? Saga Frontier. Okay. So oh, sure. Just Kevin was talking about Sui Coden. Yeah. Was... Since we have a forum, 
like, I'm not sure if the glitches still exist, but if any of you kids out there get Suicoden 2, if the music drops out during the tactical battle, don't panic. And there's going to be a point where you may be assembling a little orchestra, and they're supposed to be playing you a tune. If it seems like your game has frozen, don't panic. Wait a few minutes and see if it starts back up again. These are glitches that were in the original disc release that were just, the game was released with a few glitches on it. <laughs> uh, back in the day when games were released with a whole bunch of glitches in them. I think it still happens, I just don't... They just patch it now. <laughs> I just don't but... notice it as much. Like, I remember when, like, games would have giant glitches in them, like you just walk through and there'd just be like this triangle on the side of the wall that just wasn't there. But yeah, PlayStation, man, I, I was... I had forgotten, A... How much I played PlayStation 1 games. Yeah. How long I did. And, man, it's... It, I, that was Again, it was during, my, you know, a lot of our formative years. We were going from, like, you know, mid to late teenage years and beyond. Mm-hmm. So, you know. So this was sort of our, you know, all alternative rock, pop, you, whatever music yep. you were listening to growing up. This, this was mine. It was PlayStation. Well, I was never into... I, I was never a cool kid. I was never into the music scene. Well, neither was I, but... But I was into the video game scene. And so I think that this is almost like... The PlayStation one is almost like, you know... People talk about what music they were listening to when they were just becoming a teenager. When they yeah. were going from middle school into high school. I, was play- I wasn't listening to any particular band. I was playing the PlayStation. Yep. Uh, I think that... So that's, that's it. That's a roundtable discussion of PlayStation 1. PSX, original PlayStation. Realize this is going to be a multi-part thing. <laughs> you realize it halfway through the podcast. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! This is what we're talking about. Uh, we are definitely going to do regular episodes as well. But I think, you know, Christmas Circle, let's do more. We we need to catch up from all the episodes we were sick, right? Yeah. Let, let's let, let's drum up some podcasts. So we're, we'll be doing more. I don't know if PS2 will get its entire own podcast. We're going to sort of play this by ear. We're going to play Lucy Goosey with PlayStation. I think PlayStation 2 isn't going to be able to get its own podcast because I I want PlayStation 3 in with PlayStation 2 as kind of a continuation so much. So this might be a two-parter. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. We'll see what happens. But we'll see you next time on the AwesomeCast. Again, you can find us at AwesomeCast.com. Please leave us comments on any of the podcasts. Check out our Index of Awesome. Tell a friend. Please rate us on Stitcher. That would be huge. Apparently, Stitcher is now the de facto Android way to listen to podcasts. It was news to me, but apparently it's true. We're definitely on it on like iTunes because Apple sucks. But whatever, Apple, you just keep denying us. And we'll keep promoting Stitcher. Everyone use Stitcher. It sounds cooler than iTunes. Also, please send us emails at awesomecash at gmail.com, like Dylan did with his PlayStation questions. Also, you can find myself on Twitter at it's basal time. Kevin's on Twitter at twitless underscore Kevin. Awesomecast is, of course, at awesomecast. You can find us also on Facebook and Tumblr. And with that, thanks for listening. We're out.
Butterfly Beam, we have Cream in there, Flurble Beam in there. 